The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to You're Gonna Love Me, the podcast where we open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of anyone who has judged or been judged. Well, hopefully. I'm your host, Katie Maloney. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm very excited for my guest today. He's one of the coolest people I know, and he's also definitely kicked my butt working out before. His name is Alfred Kendrick, and he is the founder and creator of Fit Arts Studio here in Los Angeles. Welcome. What's up? What's up? Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yay. Okay. So, Alfred went to college with my husband, Tom Schwartz. Yeah. Good times. Do you have any embarrassing stories about him? Do I have any embarrassing <laughs> stories? I, I don't know if I have any embarrassing stories to drop, but definitely we used to do something kind of strange where we would sit out on the porch steps in college and play music, but we didn't go to church. So we just called it the Church of Funk. <laughs> so we would just sit out on the steps and like play music all Sunday morning. So it's a little college story. The Church of Funk. The Church of Funk. I believe that. Well, he asked me, he's like, you should know if he has any embarrassing stories about me. But he's like, well, he'd probably just call me a lush. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a little. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Because, well, because it was Florida State. Yeah, it was Florida State, but everybody was, so. Except for you. Yeah, yeah, except for me. You're good. I actually made it through life. I've never had a drink in my entire life. Which I think is amazing. I mean, do you get frustrated when people are like, what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, some people definitely get a little bit surprised, but. Or when you tell them that you don't drink, do they go, what happened? Yeah, I mean, I used to tell people I don't drink. Now I just make up some excuse. I'm like, oh, man, I would join you, but I got a big day tomorrow. I'm sorry. I I can't drink because I got a big day, you know. You say that now? Yeah, I say that. It's just easier than explaining why I don't drink, you know. But there's not a reason. That's never just interested you right well i mean if you think about drinking in general like i went to florida state so you know we're hanging out everybody's hanging out at the club or the party or whatever and with drinking alcohol you got to find this window that's like 20 minutes of perfectness right (laughs) and you're like drinking could be liquor could be wine could be beer but whatever you're trying to find that perfect window of buzz and you're like fighting to get there but meanwhile, you're taking down this hot liquid that makes your breath smell bad. And then you <laughs> finally get to that window. And then you're, you're there for like 20 minutes. And you're like, oh, I think I got it. But I think I could feel a little bit more buzzed, a little better. And then you drink a little more. And then you get sick and belligerent, And you're spitting when you're talking. You're saying things that you shouldn't say to people. And then you do things you shouldn't do. And then you wake up the next day and you feel terrible. You have a headache. You probably peed on yourself a couple of times. You know what I mean? You didn't perform well sexually. And then no. you got to spend the next two days recovering. Right? So I, I just never really saw the point. No, yeah. No, you, you've actually just nailed it. Yeah. The, the amount of like hangovers I've had are pretty wild. But you know what? Yeah. I go back for more always. But like, I didn't bring you here to talk about that. <laughs> right. We're not here to talk about you not drinking. So you are, you're like a Capoeira master. Yeah, I am something like an expert. You know, I, you were definitely an expert. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I haven't received in the Capoeira community, is, is, um, I haven't received that master level. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I want to master anything. I think I want to constantly grow. 
Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Can you explain to everyone what capoeira is? Ooh, so capoeira <laughs> is a Afro-Brazilian martial art. It started with the enslaved Africans in Brazil who used part of their cultural war dances and cultural martial art techniques to disguise their martial arts and fight self-defense training while they were enslaved in Brazil. And then later they used this uh, technique for self-defense and for revolts, revolts and rebellions and things like that. And so this art developed sort of like a dance because they would practice right under the nose of the enslavers and the oppressors. And they would make this um, martial art training look like dance in order to get it past the masters. You actually been featured on Vanderpump Rules. Right, right. Uh-huh. You, yeah, you, they, the guys went and uh, you trained them for a session. Like Tom explained it to me, but first time seeing it up close was at you're in Kara's wedding. Okay. Uh-huh. And we like we had the, this beautiful ceremony and then we were having some drinks and food and then the party starts. And right. I remember Kara changing into like the bridal version of like workout gear. Right. And then all of a sudden, almost like a flash mob, like everyone that was at the party like was busting out like capoeira. And I'm like, everyone's spinning on their heads and spin kicking within inches of each other's faces. And I'm like, holy shit, this is like the most badass thing I've ever <laughs> witnessed in my life. How does anyone even find out about this? Or when did you come across it? And when did you really get involved in it? Right. I actually started 20 years ago. I started in college and um, I loved just martial arts and movement and dance and like drums and all that stuff. So it has like a big musical element. And so when I discovered Capoeira, I saw a movie about it called Only the Strong back in the 90s. It was like a B-budget movie that everyone saw, but it was like great and it was entertaining. I saw that movie and exposed me to the art. And then when I moved to Tallahassee, Florida, I found it and I just kind of went in. You found it in Tallahassee? I found it in Tallahassee. At the time, there was probably like three locations throughout Florida that taught the art. It was very rare. I was not expecting. I've been to Tallahassee. Yeah, yes, it was. It's not much there, so <laughs> so we definitely got lucky with was that. Was it like next to the Publix? <laughs> I know. Across from the. the... I know. Where was it? Uh, actually, it was in the old, <laughs> uh, old warehouse right across from uh, Dope Campbell Stadium. Okay. Yeah. I know that you studied, you know, kinesiology. Is that right, what right. your degrees in? Mm-hmm. So you always wanted to do something in physical therapy or training and so at that point you were like this is going to be my the skill my craft right so I was training and of course getting my degree and I did some other trainings and and certifications and education as well but then when I found just like through the years I kept doing this art and it was more of a hobby in the beginning but I realized it had so much to offer and I realized it's what people have been trying to do with fitness for a long time except for people just haven't even gotten there. And this is ancient. And I feel it's one of those things where we're always looking ahead for what's new and most innovative when the true therapy or the true solution has been ancient and sitting right under our noses the whole time. And that's how I feel about Capoeira. I will attest to that because you trained me for what, like six months? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is so difficult. Right. And I mean, I have like a little bit of a dance background. So Mm -hmm. I think some of it came a little natural to me but I mean first of all you make it look really easy like uh-huh. this the, like what you can do with your body is like unbelievable and I think everyone that's listening should just go right now just for context just go look at his Instagram it's just at fitarts f-i-t-a-r-t-s mm-hmm. just start watching because you'll be fully amazed 
I really love about and what you're saying is just that it's not just going to a gym and doing squats and throwing around iron and just essentially doing more harm to your body than good. It's like using like full range movement with just your, your body. And it feels purposeful because you're learning a skill as opposed to just, you know, working out and going through motions. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, human nature, we're a lot more playful and interactive and we like to be involved. We like to use our bodies and we like to do things. It's just that we have easily been distracted by corporations and things that take us away from that. It's hard to sell passion and it's hard to sell like body movement and like innate instincts that human beings already have. And it's easier to sell weight machines and gym memberships. So that's how kind of those things spread. But yeah, I mean, human beings, like as kids, we played monkey bars, we played games, we ran around, you know, you could put a kid a five-year-old in a park or even a dog in a park with nothing there. And they would just run in circles and have fun. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a strong, like, artistic essence to the movement. And what I've done with the Capoeira is I've tailored it to fitness and made it the results even better than in the original art as far as getting fitness results from it, you know? Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting stores shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Okay, so you graduate from Florida State. When did you graduate? I graduated about 06. Did you start building your program there or when did you move to LA? During college, even as probably as early as 2000, uh, I I got certified as a personal trainer way before I graduated. And I started cross-referencing martial art techniques with injury and healing and physical therapy and massage therapy techniques with capoeira techniques and acrobatic training techniques and kind of putting all these things together and just looking at the human body being like, okay, which people are really fit? Martial artists, dancers, professional acrobat, you know, uh, those people are really fit. And which people are always struggling and working ridiculous hard to get fit? People who go to the gym, you know? Mm -hmm. So at the gym, there's what, 5% who's great and fit. And then everybody else is just trying to keep up, you know, in and out, in and out. And without that passion and without that entertainment, you definitely lose that motivation. And that's the problem with the gym. A lot of times it's just so mundane. It's great for some people who like it, but there is a big population who just don't go because it's just so painful. (laughs) So what happened was I was uh, working at the YMCA. I was working with a lot of elderly people. People were like 60, 70, 80 plus. And I learned to fine-tune and tailor these techniques to work with the elderly. And then that helped me become like a better teacher as I started to work with everyone else. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) I want to see just a bunch of like grandmas just like Jenga. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got some some women who are amazing. I still Jenga. Yeah. I'll get off the couch and Jenga because, you know, being like in quarantine, it's been a lot more sedentary than usual, but Uh just got to get the blood going. Right, right. It's great for that because uh, fit arts is a combination of things I teach combined with the capoeira. And with fit arts, it's like you can do it anywhere and you don't need a lot of equipment, which makes it great. When this coronavirus hit, a lot of trainers and a lot of gyms and people struggled to like 
create at-home workouts. They were like, oh, well, like, I mean, if you did this leaning against your couch, that, that's a great workout. <laughs> and pretty much people just winging it and making stuff up because they had no choice. But I've actually been developing this fit arts program for 20 years. So I really have the technique to get people in shape fast. Outside of training, you like travel the world and you bring this capoeira and you perform, whether it's performing at events or, you know, just actual performances or, you know, you train everywhere. I mean, and that's, you're bringing it to every like corner right, of the right. world, which is crazy. But like growing up, was that like your dream and passion was like fitness? And was that, what did you want to do when you were young? You know, as a kid, I loved martial arts and I love acrobatics and I wanted to be an acrobatic performer and a teacher and do things in the entertainment industry. And I forgot about it. Like I, I, I got to high school got to college and I forgot about it. The reality of that was kind of pushed out of my head. It was like, you have no chance at that in life. There's a combination of like, you know, the systematic oppression stuff that we faced and also just like going through life as you're becoming adult, everyone's like crushing your dreams saying, hey, don't have those dreams, have realistic goals. And I think that's a battle that everyone can see. It doesn't matter your race is that you may have parental or religious pressures or societal pressures that's kind of stepping on your dreams and telling you don't dream you know create realistic goals as you become an adult and that can be a little bit suppressing and I think I just definitely was more on that secure route trying to get my degree and moving forward and I kind of forgot about it until I achieved my degree and I was like all right what do I want to do with the rest of my life and that's when I made the decision to come to LA. Did you have a big family growing up? I did. I had four brothers and a sister. And are you close? Oh, we're pretty close. So, like, were they also active? And did you guys, like, do acrobats together? Well, yeah. We, <laughs> I mean, like, as we were in this age of this realism of what's going on with Black people, Black people didn't have much, right? Like, I remember as, as a kid, when we were really young, we put a crate against the house or whatever, and that was, like, a basketball goal. We, like play football with a sock, with a shoe, with a tennis ball, with whatever we had, we would play football with. And uh, we ran all the time through the neighborhoods. We ran around. We ran from police. We ran from rednecks. We ran from people trying to run us over when we were in elementary school with cars because the rednecks in Florida are crazy and they do yeah, that. Yeah, because you're from Polk County. Yeah, I'm from Polk County. And is that, that's like... Polk County is central Florida. It's right between Tampa and Orlando. Yeah, that's... Oh. Yeah, that must have been. Yeah, so that was crazy. So I, I think as a black kid, we uh, we were just active a lot because we didn't have a lot of opportunities to do other stuff. That we just spent our time running around the neighborhood a lot, and I feel like that's what trained, you know, a lot of black athletes to this day, being out, being outside, running, moving. You know. So I know you've talked to me too about. I mean, going into like what's happening now. Just like casually when we would be talking, just how you've mentioned that you would, you know, be pulled over all the time. Just, you know, just being profiled just because you would be a black man driving a nice car and right. just get pulled over mm -hmm. for just some any kind of obscure reason. Right. And that's just something that's just been a constant in your life. Yeah. Do you remember like that the first time aside, but besides being a young kid and running from rednecks and all that, do you remember like becoming very aware of being black? Yeah, and just feeling that oppression and yeah. that, that. I was taught at, at a young young age I had to be. So 
as a black kid, especially in the South, you know, you're not taught to be a kid. You're taught to be a black kid. You're not taught to be a teenager. You're taught to be a black teenager. And you're not going to be a, a man or an adult. You're a black man. And so you have to operate and move differently. And I, I definitely remember as a kid wanting to do certain things and my mom would be screaming and I would be confused because the white kids were doing it. And she would be like, what? you can't do what the white kids do. You're not the same. And they won't get in trouble, but you will. You know what I mean? And their repercussions are going to be less than the ones that you will get. It could ruin your life. They'll be fine. You know? So there's a lot of moments where we were taught as kids to kind of circumnavigate this uh, society. And with that, that's what kept me safe. You know, that's why I'm alive. You know what I mean? That's why I'm able to work is because my mom was cautious. But yes, she had to teach us to do that. Yeah. Wow. And then same with your brothers and sisters. Yeah. We were all taught how to operate as Black people in this world. Even like right now when you guys are hearing me speak, you're hearing my code switch, right? So this is not my dialect of growing up in Central Florida and how I would speak to my family and friends there. But this is the way that I was taught to speak in order to like essentially address white people. Just make white people feel more comfortable. Just make white people feel more comfortable to help you know, get your point across to obviously communication is everything, but also to get respect and acknowledgement. Because if I don't speak with this voice and then I wouldn't be respected. You know what I mean? I would just be considered ignorant and a waste of time. My speech is really what got me through a lot of moments in life when I knew I was oppressed. I knew I was one, two, 10 steps behind the rest, but I can talk and talking and that changes people's guard that they have against you. That starts to dig into their biases just right there. I mean, it's very wild what's happening right now because, I mean, so many people are waking up mm-hmm. in this country, thankfully, you know. And even just learning, like I said, learning code switching and becoming aware of the privileges and of things that we've never even had to think about because we have privilege. Right. And it is difficult, you know? And you posted something on your Instagram recently about wanting to educate and not humiliate. And, you know, I know a lot of people are at this point looking to resources and a lot of people from the Black community are like, we're not here to educate you. And, you know, you, you got to educate yourself. And then some people are like, no, you got to there's There's a lot, of, a lot of like conflicting sort of things that are happening. Would you agree that I think that there's less that people could learn from you and now it's just, it's up to I mean, white people to just... I mean, let me say this. Um, black people aren't all the same. Right. You know what I mean? We have different opinions. We have different approaches. We have different ways of doing things. Some people like mayonnaise. Some people hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're, we're not all the same. Right. But we are all the same when it comes to discrimination. So we do get the same discrimination and similar discrimination. But we're not all the same in opinions. So yeah, no matter what, there's going to be different people with different opinions wanting to handle things. There's going to be people who want to be passive. There's going to be people who want to fight. And there's going to be people in the middle. And that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. But as far as my opinion, I think those who are willing and want to educate, let them do it. You know what I mean? Because part of the struggle that we face is white people getting the opinions of black people from white people. And that is a problem. You're getting 
the copy that you're reading from transcribed books and things that was edited and written by white people to talk about black people like we're some sort of species in the encyclopedia or something. And that's what makes things difficult because there's biases when it's being written. So if you were going to get educated about black people, I think it should come from black people with the black experience who can tell you the truth and not just some old white man who's telling you what he wants you to think, you know, because you're a white person. I th- yeah, I think that's what it is. I think a lot of times white people are we're not articulating ourselves correctly right. when, when we want to ask questions. So if it's like it's wanting to like hear someone's experience. Right. I think it's specific questions to ask and not just be like, tell me what I need to know. Right, right. I mean, look, this is what happened. Everybody had busy lives. People were doing their stuff, partying, dancing, going to clubs and uh, watching football games, the Super Bowl's biggest event in the country sometimes. So we had a lot going on, watching TV shows and, and Netflix, right? And then all of a sudden, all those distractions stopped. They went down to zero. Everybody's doing nothing. And then people are able to open their eyes and see the oppression of happening to black people every day right under their noses. So people were shocked, like a five-year-old kid that just found out Santa Claus wasn't real. All white people just found out Santa Claus wasn't real. And everybody was like, oh, snap. So where do you start with that? You know, that's huge. How, did, how does this kid, the white people are this, this little kid that just found out Santa Claus wasn't real. A white Santa Claus, by anyways. But anyways, that's another topic. <laughs> but found out Santa wasn't real. And that little kid is like, well, what about the cookies I put out? Wait till out? they hear and, about Jesus. Their mind's really going to be blown. Right? And <laughs> how, do, how do you slide down a chimney? And what about the reindeers? You told me all this elaborate stuff. There was reindeers who live in the North Pole. He has elves and all this stuff. And so that kid now has to go, wait, there's no reindeer. There's no elves. There's no North Pole. There's no this. There's no playhouse. And there's Santa's workshop and all this stuff. So, yeah, people are shocked and they're, they're trying to figure this out. And, of course, some black people is like, this is what we've been telling you every single day. And now you want me to explain it again because you're ready to listen. And some black people are like, I'm done. Yeah. You know what I mean? And no one can argue with that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I know the conversations that I'm having with white friends and they're just like, I'm not racist. I'm like, but you have internalized racism. You need to understand that. Right. like." It's built into you because you're white. And I know no one gets to choose the skin that you're born into, right. but like it's our responsibility to recognize that right. and own it. True. You know, we benefited from being born white. There's that internalized racism. Right. We benefited from a system that has oppressed people right. for 400 years. Right. Okay? <laughs> and, and the thing is, what you're saying is so true. And the, what happens is that no one wants to be blamed for something they didn't do intentionally. You know, and that's why white people are so defensive because they're like, I didn't do this on purpose. How can it be my fault? That's where things have to be taken upon an intellectual level. So only people who are operating at a higher intellectual level really are going to just be super compassionate Mm -hmm. because everyone else is like, I didn't do it. It wasn't my fault. I don't believe. But the thing that people have to understand is that advertising and marketing is a probably the biggest industry in the country, right? It runs every single thing we do. And what makes you get a Coca-Cola, right? Over Mr. Pibb or some other, you know, what what makes you pick the clothes you buy, the cars you wear? Why do you spend so much on a Mercedes as opposed to a Honda? You know, what makes us make these decisions? And that's marketing and that's advertising and that's also biases, you know? What makes a girl, a, a 16-year-old girl anorexic, you know? What makes a woman 
want to get breast implants and want to get lips done and surgeries and all of this stuff. Why? It's society who's told you you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too this, you're too that. And just like society made that 16-year-old girl anorexic, it also made people racist. It also made people biased because a two-year-old child or one-year-old child is not going, I'm going to grow up to get breasts one day. They're not thinking that. But the Hollywood industry and the marketing industry and the corporations put that into your head to where you're like, my nose is not perfect. My chin is not perfect. My hips are not perfect. My body's not perfect. I'm not beautiful and I need to pay for it. You know what I mean? And that society that made people second guess themselves is the same society that made people hate black people. That's what happened. So if you can draw the connection between why this little teenager being anorexic and going to an extreme where she may have bulimia or, or starving herself, where human beings need food, and that's so innate. That is like essential food. And a child can be so traumatized through their environment that they're starving themselves, lets you know how strong and influential the propaganda that we get through our life can lead us to feeling and thinking a certain way, where it can take away your most essential instinct as a human being is to eat food. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really toxic. It's like pollution. Exactly. And that's what makes people biased and racist. And it's not necessarily everyone did it on purpose. Well, I mean, the oppressors did it on purpose, but the people who received it, it wasn't intentional for them to be biased, but it just so happened to be that when they see a black person, they get scared because they've been taught that way. The same way when they see a Coca-Cola, they go, oh, that's great. Or when they smell McDonald's fries, they go, I want to smile. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I just got hungry. And oh, see, there you go. <laughs> From those 400 commercials and the happiness that McDonald's sold you as a kid. No, that's absolutely correct. And just trying to explain to people that, you know, you don't need to be actively racist to have bias that just is built into you. Right. And they want to be defensive about it. Right. And they're like, but I've never thought that. And they think that proximity excludes them from being examined, but it doesn't. And I think, like, as we all sit here and unpack and think back to the past of having blind spots in our life of microaggressions or things that we might have said or right. laughed at or things that we've done. And it's like, oh God, you know, like right. when you really think back about it, you're like, that probably wasn't good or, right. oh, like maybe, you know, but it's, it's good to do that. Right. Even even if you do cringe and you right. cry or you you got to sit with it right. and you got to work through it and work past it and use it, you know? Right. Once it's self-analyzed, a little bit of themselves every so often for personal growth. Check yourself if you want to be better. Check yourself, compare it to check your ego. See what, what the deal is. But I remember me and my friend went to Germany last summer. And we got to the airport. There was a, a woman on the plane, a white woman, a German woman. And when we landed, we were outside and she had two giant pieces of luggage. And she was kind of walking out with us. We didn't talk, didn't know her. And she was like, hey, guys, I have to go down and check for my car or whatever. But these things are too big to drag all the way there and back. Do you mind watching this just for a second? You know what I mean? And me and my friend was shocked, right? First of all, we're like, is this a setup? Are we on camera? Like, what's going on? Is there a bum in his back? It was one thought. But the main thought was that 
this white lady asked black people to watch her stuff. And that's where we were shocked. And she went and did her errand and she came back. She's like, oh my God, thank you so much for watching my stuff. We couldn't stop thinking about it the whole time we were in Germany, right? And we still talk about it to this day, a year later. Remember when that white lady asked us to watch her luggage? That would never happen in America because people have such a fear of black people that every time I go to a bar or I'm at a nightclub or something, women grab their purse, they move it to the side, they clench their purse when I walk down the street. If I'm in a supermarket, if I'm in Whole Foods or something, the white lady will take her purse out of the buggy just for me to walk by. Really? Just for me to walk past your shopping cart, you're going to take your purse out of the buggy. So anytime I'm near a white person's purse, I'm always paranoid. Like, I don't even want to be near a white woman's purse. It's like the worst position for me to be. I will actually leave the room if I see a purse because I already know that I'm going to be suspect, you know? And uh, it's like that constant, like me going to the parking garage and I see two, three white people leaving their car you know, which is already locked, and they look at me, they make eye contact, and then they frantically in panic mode start locking their car to make sure it's locked just because they saw me, right? And then I go in and get in a nicer car than them. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way people feel. is not necessarily just their fault, but they're triggered when they see a black person to go, oh, wait, is my car safe? You know what I mean? Because this black guy could rob me, you know? The, the thing is that People kind of have a default perception of Black people as criminals, where anytime a white person commits a crime, shoots up a school, becomes a psychopathic killer, whatever, that kid or that guy is mental and, yeah. and needs mental help. Anytime a Black person does anything, I don't think there's ever been a crazy Black person because no one gives them, no one says, hey, that Black person has mental disorder. They're always like, he was a criminal. He didn't obey the law. He was a criminal. He was a criminal. Well, well, it's like a white guy goes and shoots up a church, right? And he's just mental and a poor, disturbed kid. You know what I mean? And so when a white person does a crime, it's almost that it's neutral and pertains only to that white person. And it doesn't take a negative effect on the entire race of white people. But whenever a black person does something wrong, then it takes that effect that all black people you know, now have to carry the burden of that. So anytime something crazy or messed up happens in the world, uh, especially in, in America, I'm just thinking to myself, please don't let it be a black man. Please don't let it be a black man. And they'll go, white Caucasian man. I'm like, thank the Lord, you know, right, <laughs> from Florida. So, and I'm not, I'm just, just don't want any more negative strikes. We got enough struggle as it is, you know, that's, that's where it comes from. Yeah. How are you going to generalize an entire, you know, race based on actions of few. Right. But then we look at the police and, you know, right. don't apply that same don't logic to that. Right. Okay. Well, you know, right. I follow this Instagram account called Karen's Karen's oh, going, Karen's wild. going wild. Yeah. I mean, entertainment, 20 out of 10, disturbing a million percent. Right. It is like wild what is happening right now. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's just like we're seeing it now more. Because we're just seeing it. I read, I think Sean King posted the other day about this group of friends. They're walking through like a park or something. And there was one black man with them. And this group that had like a Confederate flag hats on. Like they were trying to like lynch this man. What year are we in? It's right. like, is this something that is really like, holy shit. 
let me tell you about my childhood. Let's let the people hear. So I grew up in Lakeland, Florida. As young as middle school, I remember race riots. I'm talking like 50 white kids, 50, you know, 50 black kids fighting each other just because of race, right? People like rocks, guns, baseball bats, dogs, like everything, you name it. And I just remember walking through school with a lock around my knuckles from the locker. Just in case I was caught by myself, I would be ready to defend myself. Middle school. This is like 12, 13, 14. When we would walk down the street, the adult rednecks driving in cars or trucks would take their truck and try to hit us with it and, and, and tease us, call us nigger, throw bottles out the window. I had a cross burned in my yard, right? So this is just like my childhood and um, my teenage years. When I was a teenager, I had a cross burned in my yard. And they say stuff like, go back to Africa, the South will rise again. And guess what? Make America great, right? So yeah, that is, that is what we live in. And, and so when we see those flags and, and we, we, we feel that stuff, like this stuff is happening. This is all day, every day tensions in states where people are screaming nigger and they're screaming all this coon and gator bait do you know about gator bait oh i think that's a strong one so whenever black people and white people have conflicts especially in the south they'll say stuff like gator bait right and gator bait is back during the enslavement period and post-slavery is when white people white slave masters would go in and take the babies from the black people and they would go to the swamp and they would tie a rope around the baby and they would throw the baby into the swamp and because the babies can float and swim and they scream at such a high-pitched voice that they considered it even better than hunting alligators with chickens and things like that. So the baby would scream and the gators from all over the swamp would come and swallow the baby, eat the baby. And then they would pull the, the baby and the gator by the rope into the close to the shore and then they would harpoon and kill it, right? And so that's how they hunted gators, which people don't want to talk about. And that was during that slavery period and after, you know, where you could get away with kidnapping because people think there was a clear line after slavery that it just stopped and disappeared. It took years. I mean, we're still arguing stuff now. So obviously it took years back then. But yeah, so you would get called gator bait a lot of times and porch monkey and things like that. And that's where some of these things come from. They have they have meaning and they have significance of things that actually happen. So when the tensions rise, like these are these are the emotions and these are the feelings of things that our mothers told us and our grandmothers told us and the stories. And this is why th there's a lot of tension when and emotion involved when these kind of things happen, you know, and this is the stuff. So when we talk about like white fragility and people saying, oh, well, I feel like this and I feel like that, we're like, you have no idea. The, what we're holding, you're just holding, you, you feel offended. You know, we've been offended. You know what I mean? You're talking about feelings. We're talking about actions. Damn. Well, I, I won't keep you, but I appreciate you for sharing that. And then I did want to ask you one more thing about fit arts. Okay. So I know right now, still a bit of like quarantine. And I saw that you were doing like a online situation right. uh -huh. so so people are still looking for a way to stay in shape and they right. want to you know support you and check out some capoeira and get in yeah, some yeah. sick shape how do they sign up 
So you guys can find me. I think Instagram's the easiest for everybody. Uh, I do have a website, fitarts.com. You can put in an application. We'll get back to you. Uh, You can DM me at at fitarts on Instagram. Facebook, good luck. I might check it. I don't know. So, but yeah, check me on Instagram. Check me on fitarts.com. Ask about it. I want you guys to know that when you look at my content, you're going to know that this is serious. This is real. Anyone can do it. I have people who are 70, 80 years old doing it. You just have to believe in yourself and it's step-by-step instructions. And this workout was designed to do anywhere, at home, in the park, on the beach. You can learn and be educated how to move your body. It's fun. And it's so fun. It's so entertaining. And it's so, so much more effective than a lot of the the winged workouts that people just came out with because they got kicked out of the gym. So, you know, either you waste your time or you get in shape. Yeah, no, I think I think there's so much to get out of it. Right. And you just feel that like you're again like learning right a really cool skill that you can take with you and and then you can advance and grow in as well yeah there's no limit there's no limit with it i could not recommend it more to everyone thank you for having me tell tom i said what's up and and let's keep it grinding yes sounds good all right bye (laughs) bye thank you so much for listening please make sure to subscribe leave a rating and review Follow along on social at Music Kills Kate and tune in next week for an all new episode.